Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. This morning, I want to kind of jump back into where I left off last time I preached a couple weeks ago. Um, So hopefully some of you remember what that was. Uh, We talked about a a word for a little while called perichoresis. How many of you remember me talking about perichoresis? Um, it's It's a word that I heard on a podcast a few weeks ago, and uh, they explained it a little bit, and then I I just dove into it even more, and it's the Lord has just been stirring uh, so much in me regarding this word. Um, The word, just just to kind of recap a little bit, the word is perichoresis. Uh, It's broken up. It's a Greek word. Uh, It is actually not found in the Bible. So the word perichoresis is not a biblical word, but it is a theological word. And what I mean by that is it's a word that is, like I said, it's not found in the Bible, but the early church fathers. So way back uh, in the early, uh, early stages of the church, the uh, uh, early church fathers used this word perichoresis to describe what the Trinity looked like. So what the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit look like. It's this word perichoresis. The word is broken up into two two words, uh, peri, which means perimeter or like a circle um, or perimeter, and the word choresis, which is the word choreography. So yes, it's where we kind of get our word choreography in our language is the word choresis. Uh, So it's, it's the perimeter uh, perimeter choreography, and that's why people call it the circle dance. Uh, so in, in theology, you'll see that term used sometimes. It's, it's the circle dance, or some people call it even the dance of, div- or the divine dance, or the dance of love. And so that's kind of in a nutshell what this word perichoresis means. Uh, and, and again, the, the term was given uh, to a dance that they would dance oftentimes in celebration uh, in that Greek culture. So at weddings or things like that, they would use this dance. And the dance would usually be uh, three people that would uh, weave in and out of each other. So the dance was them weaving in and out. I, I've tried to find a video of the dance, but all I can find is these like really weird like Greek dances that aren't perichoresis dance or youth groups trying to come up with some kind of dance. And that's just not, you know, we've been there. So <laughs> so, uh, so I don't have a video. I'd love to find actually the, the motion of the dance. But, but they say the dance, they would weave in and out of each other. Uh, and the, the three people would weave in and out of each other. And it is said that as they would dance, they would pick up pace and it would get to a point where they were weaving in, in and out of each other so, so quickly, but yet so effortlessly that it looked like one person, even though it was distinctly three. So they looked like one, but they were so in unity and so in sync that it looked like one person dancing. And so that's, that's why the church fathers, when they saw that dance, they thought this is what it looks like between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they are three individual distinct persons, but so united in their thoughts, in their actions, in their motives, in their personalities, in, all, in every way. They are so united that they are one being. That's why we have three in one, right? We have one God in three persons, which is the Trinity. 
which the Trinity, I, listen, the Trinity is, is still, even with that term, the Trinity is one of those mysteries of the, of the divine, isn't it? Um, but I love that this gives us just insight into what that looks like. So this is what the Lord has been just stirring in me, is this idea of complete unity, this idea of perichoresis, the dance of unity, the, um, the, the dance of love together. Um, and so I've been reading just a lot of different scriptures and uh, just my own study time and everything I read. Have you ever been there where it's like the Lord is speaking something to you and as you're reading, it's like, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's everywhere that I'm reading right now. Um, you know, especially in, in First Peter or in First John uh, or even in Acts, I've, read, I've seen this idea of perichoresis. But the main area where I've seen this idea played out is, is in John chapters 14 through John chapter 17. John 14 through John chapter 17. And if you remember, I asked you to all go home and to read that. I gave you some homework. Who did the homework? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's, you guys are acting like I was in school. <laughs> so, uh, so I encourage you, go home and read that. Um, we're going to actually spend some time in John 14 through John 17 today and probably in the weeks to come. Um, but today I'm actually going to stick in John chapter 14, although I am going to open in John chapter 17. But I, I want to I read this to you. I, I think John 14 through 17 is probably the most clear picture of perichoresis. I think it gives it, it explains in the most detail what it looks like, the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But then there's that element, which this is what gets me excited, where we get brought in to that fold. And I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but we get brought into that divine dance. And so let me show you that here in John chapter 17. Is everybody with me this morning? Amen. All right, let's get into this. John chapter 17, this is the New King James Version, uh, starting in verse 20. It says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So you see it right here, perichoresis. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and we are united as one. And his prayer right here is that we, as a body, would be united as one, as the Father and Son are united as one, which is exciting already, right? So the Father and Son are one, and we are one as believers. And if it ended there, that would be good too, right? If we had the connection, that the, the same connection that the Father and Son had, and we walked in unity just as they walked in unity, that's awesome. But it gets so much better than that. So it says, it goes on and says, that they also may be one in us. So not only are we united as believers, as the Father and Son are united, but now we have been brought in to the dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now we are united, not just with each other, but in the Godhead itself. That we may be, they may also be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. And that they may be one just as we are one. I in them. 
you and me, and that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them. This one gets me too. And you have loved them as you have loved me. That the same love the Father has for Jesus the Son, he has the same love for us. The same level of love he has for Jesus is the same love he has for us. And we have been united into this, this dance, this divine dance, this I am in you, you are in me, and now we are in you and, and you are in us. Isn't that the most beautiful picture? Isn't that so much more than what, what our general Christianity a lot of times affords? Is not only are we saved by grace, but we are invited into the divine dance. Hallelujah. I believe that through the cross, we have the opportunity to gain heaven and avoid hell. But I also believe that going to heaven and avoiding hell is the very least that we gain from the cross. It's the very least that we gain from the cross. It's absolutely true and absolutely worth celebrating that we get to spend eternity in heaven and we get to avoid going to hell, which all of us would agree in this room that, that according to the law, we all deserved, right? That according to the law that we all have fallen short of sin, we all deserve death, we all deserve separation from the Father, but because of the cross, we now can avoid hell and enter in to paradise. Listen, that is absolutely worth celebrating, but I'm afraid many times in our Western Christianity, we stop at that point, and I wanna tell you that is just the beginning of the good news. That yes, it accomplished that. Yes, we do not have to spend eternity in hell. Yes, we get to spend eternity in heaven. But more than that, beginning right now in this moment, when as soon as we accepted Jesus into our lives, we were invited into a position where we actually can share in the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we are in him and he is in us. And that revelation has been changed everything that I think and everything that I do. That I am not operating just in my own being, but I am operating actually with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit resonating inside of me. Jesus, that is so good. Hallelujah. That we are one with the Father and the Father is one in us. I do not believe Jesus's primary goal on the cross was to keep us out of hell. I believe his primary uh, goal on the cross was to restore us to union, to restore our union with the Father. Listen, I, I wasn't planning on going here. I talked about it a little bit last week, but just briefly, I, I, we, we oftentimes, we talk about ourselves being sinners saved by grace, which is absolutely true. But listen, before we were sinners, we were image bearers. Before we fell into sin, we, we were sons and daughters of God. He didn't just make us sons and daughters of God after the cross. We started out as sons and daughters of God. And I believe the primary objective of the, of the cross was to restore us back into that place and that position of sonship and authority and bearing his image. I believe that is the primary goal of the cross. Amen? 
and getting out of hell is just a very awesome added bonus, right? Hallelujah. So let's, let's go ahead and jump over here to John chapter 14. I'm going to just kind of work my way through the first 14 chapters here, or chapters. It's going to be a long Sunday morning. The first 14 verses here in John chapter 14. So let me give you some context into what's happening here. This, this section of scripture is very unique in that it is only recorded in the book of John. So uh, what, what the context of what's going on here is, is this, uh, John chapter 14 through 17, is actually during the, uh, the last night Jesus was on earth. So uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give an account of Jesus instituting the Last Supper. So, right, we took communion this morning. That was instituted uh, the night before Jesus was crucified on the cross uh, at the Lord's table. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that account. But what makes John so special is that he does not actually record the account of Jesus instituting communion. Instead, he records uh, what we're about to read here in, in chapter 14 through 17. He also records, uh, records these things in the previous chapters. He records Jesus washing the disciples' feet. You remember that? So I love that verse because it says that, that Jesus was realizing the moment he was in. He knew that he was about to leave this world. He knew that he was about to be betrayed. And it says that he girded up his cloth, bent down, and began washing the disciples' feet, which I think is the most beautiful picture of servanthood. Here he is, the king of kings, who's about to sacrifice himself for these people. And he gets on his knees and begins washing their feet. I love that picture, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. So he washes the disciples' feet. Uh, it's where Judas, he records Judas is sitting at the table and he, uh, he, he gives the revelation that Judas is about to go betray him and he actually gives Judas permission to leave to go to uh, the Pharisees to betray him. And this is also right uh, what happened right before verse 14 is uh, Peter, he predicts Peter's denial uh, of Jesus. So all of that has just happened and now they're just sitting around the table around the table, right, Robertson's? He's sitting, they're just sitting around the table and Jesus begins to share this in chapter 14, verse one. It says, don't worry or surrender to your fear for you've believed in God. Now trust and believe in me also. My father's house has many dwelling places. If it were, not other, if it were otherwise, I would tell you plainly because I go to prepare a place for you to rest. If I had time, I would show you that these verses, while they very well could be about him going to heaven to prepare a place, I believe giving the context of these verses, he's talking about the place he's going to prepare a place for us is actually the cross, is the place he's going. And the dwelling place that he's talking about is actually us. Because when you read these verses, read the context of these verses, then he goes in, which we're going to talk a lot about it in detail. He talks about how I am now going to be in you and you are going to be in me and my father and I are going to come dwell inside of you. So I'm not, I'm, I don't want to break anybody's theology here. He very well could be talking about heaven and talking about this as well. But I believe in these verses, given the context, the place he is going to prepare us is the cross and the dwelling place is actually our very beings. 
Anyways, that's a side note. So I go to prepare a place for you to rest. And when everything is ready, I will come back and take you to myself so that you will be where I am. You and you are and you already know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Master, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way there? And this is, uh, this is another reason why I think this is what Jesus is talking about. How do we find our way to this place you're talking about? And Jesus explained, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me, listen to these verses, to know me is to know my father too. And from now on, you will realize that you have seen him and experienced him. So how do we see the father? How do we experience the father? It is through Jesus. Philip spoke up and said, Lord, show us the father that we or that, uh, and that will be all that we need. And Jesus replied, Philip, I've been with you all this time and you still don't know who I am. How could you ask me to show you the Father? For anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. Anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. Listen, this is, again, it's perichoresis. I am in the Father and I and the Father are so in sync with one another. We are so in tune with one another that when you see me, you actually see the Father. That when you look at me, you are looking at the very essence and being of Abba, Father himself. That when you see me, you see the Father because he is in me and I am in him. In fact, the only way to even get to the Father, the only way to experience the Father is through union with Jesus. Perichoresis, they are so in tune with one another that when you see Jesus, you see the Father. Amen? All right, everybody with me still? Awesome. All right, let's go on to these next verses. This is where things get real. You ready? Here we go. It says, don't you believe that the Father is living in me and that I am living in the Father? Even my words are not my own, but come from my Father. For he lives in me and performs his miracles of power through me. Believe that I, or believe that I live as one with my Father and that the Father lives as one with me. Or at least believe because of the mighty miracles I have done. Their unity is so complete that Jesus says, even my words are not my own. Even the things I teach you are not my own teachings. That the Father is so in me that when I speak, you are actually hearing his words. We are, there are so in tune with one another that Jesus says, the miracles that you have seen, raising the dead, healing the sick, uh, casting out demons, healing blind eyes, all of those things, all of those miracles you are seeing and experiencing, that's not even myself doing that. That is the Father being in me so much that all of his power is manifesting through me. That Jesus, I love this idea, that Jesus did not perform one single miracle on his own behalf, on his own authority, but he performed every single miracle through the power and indwelling of the Father. 
Listen, get that inside of you because we're going somewhere with that, okay? The, every miracle he performed, and, and listen, we've been talking about the father and son, but Jesus says in another verse, he says that, that all the mighty miracles I do, I do through the Holy Spirit being on me. He didn't perform those miracles based off of his own authority as a son of God. He performed those miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit in him. It's the perichoresis, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working so much inside of each other that every miracle and every word spoken is as though the Father and the Holy Spirit had spoken it themselves. Perichoresis. Amen that not even the miracles I perform. It's, and he actually even says, he even says, if, if you don't believe me at my word that the Father is in me, at least believe them because of the miracles that I do. That the miracles that Jesus performed, the works that Jesus performed were proof that the Holy Spirit and the Father were dwelling inside of him and that they are one. Uh, they are in perichoresis. They are in this divine dance together. Amen? Their unity is perfect. But then it gets, this is where it gets exciting, okay? If you want to run around the room, I will give you permission to run around the room here. John chapter 14. So Jesus just explains. Jesus just explains that my words come from his mouth. Jesus just explained that all of the miracles that you have seen came from the Holy Spirit or from the Father empowering him and the Father doing the miracles through him. And then Jesus says this famous statement that everyone in this church has heard. He says, I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these, because I go to be with my Father. Another translation says that the works that I do, you will do greater works because I go to be with my Father. For I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask me in my name. And that is how the Son will show what the Father is really like and bring glory to him. Ask me anything in my name and I will do it for you. Greater works comes through faith, yes, but not typical. the typical view of faith that says this, if I just believe hard enough for the miracle, it will happen. That if I, if I just convince myself enough that this cancer is going to leave their body, then maybe it'll happen. How many of you can relate to faith like that? That if I mentally ascend enough to this idea that, that this person is going to be healed, then maybe it will happen. Or this, this, maybe if I can convince myself not to doubt in any way, shape, or form, then the greater work will come. How many of you have operated or, or have at least subconsciously thought faith works like that? I have, absolutely. That, that when I'm praying for somebody, it's, it's almost like, like, oh, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to work it up in my head. They're going to be healed. They're going to be healed. They're going to be healed. And then like this little thought of like, yeah, right, it's not going to happen, slips in. And then it's like, oh, shoot, there it goes. Well, they're not going to be healed because I allowed doubt into my head. Like this is how we think faith works. And I want to tell you, this is not how faith works. That is not how faith works works. Like when we think of faith like that, we almost treat God like he's this some like stuck up snobby superstar 
that is stuck in his dressing room waiting to come out and perform, but he wanted all red M&Ms and found one green M&M in there. And because of that one green M&M, he's not going to come out and perform, right? We think that if we doubt in our heads any, any way, shape, or form, that God will not come out and perform. And that is not faith. What is faith in this passage? What is Jesus saying faith is? Faith is not mentally ascending to a place where, where we just believe so hard that it'll happen. Faith is saying, I have faith that he is in me. And because he is in me, I believe his power will manifest through me. It has nothing to do with this up here. We cannot mentally ascend high enough in faith to make greater works happen. We have to so believe that we are operating in perichoresis, that we are operating as one with the Father. And as, as, as the Father is in me and I in him, him so much so that through that idea of us indwelling together, that his power is then manifested through me. That is exactly how Jesus operated. We just read it. He didn't do it on his own faith and authority. His faith was that the Father is so in me that when I lay my hands on the sick, they will recover. And then he goes on in the next verses to say, and you're gonna do greater works than that when you have faith to believe that when you ask anything, where? In my name then it'll be done for you. That greater works come not as an expression of mental assent, but faith, miracles happen, greater works happen as an expression of understanding that he is in me and I am in him and operating in that complete union with the Father. In him is not a prepositional phrase that we say at the end of the prayer. Now we all do it, right? Every prayer, I do it too. Thank you for all these people being here. Thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. It's like this nice way to end a sentence, to end the prayers. It's not, but, but in Jesus' name is not this, this abracadabra, poof, it's gonna happen. In Jesus' name is literal. That when he says, ask anything in my name, he is saying literally in me, when you ask anything in me, it will be done for you because I am living in you and you are living in me. Amen? Come on. It's not, it's not just some magical phrase. It is literally, I am in him. He is in me. What if greater works happens? Not because we have faith that has mentally strived hard enough not to doubt, but a faith that says he is in me and I am in him. And if he is in me, who knows what can happen? Who knows what can happen? Hallelujah. Then I love how he sums up, and I'm gonna end here with this statement, with, with this, this point. In verse 13, the B clause I love what it says here. It says, and that's how, he, so he just got done describing how we're gonna perform greater works when we ask anything in his name. And then he says, and that's how the son will show what the father is really like and bring glory to his name. He is not talking about himself in this verse. He is not saying that, the way I'm gonna show what the Father is really like is I'm gonna to come to earth and perform all of these miracles. That yes, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So I, that statement is true. Jesus 
did show the world what the father looks like. But in this statement that he's making here, he is not talking about himself because right before this statement, he says, I am going to my father. I'm not gonna be here on this earth anymore. I'm going to the father. And then he says, but this is how I'm going to show the world what my father is really like and bring glory to his name. He's talking about you and me. He is gonna show what the father is really like through the people that he is leaving behind on the earth, you and me. How is he gonna show the world what the father is really like? We gotta jump all the way back to the first verses we read about. When you see the Father, or when you see me, you have seen the Father. When you look at me, you are actually looking at the Father. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that we can come into such unity. Listen, this is profound, guys. We can come into such unity with the Father. We can come into such unity and oneness with the Father, Son, and Spirit that when people look at you, they see the Father. When people look at your life and your character and your intentions, what they are actually seeing is a display of the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit itself because we have been, been invited into complete oneness and unity just as Jesus was in union with the Father. What that does for me is two things. It does this. It, it one, <laughs> makes me incredibly excited to know that it takes the weight off my shoulders in the sense of I don't have to perform. I don't have to make the miracle happen. I don't have to make the greater works happen. It's not my own capability. It's not my own, uh, my own um, uh, brain power, my own will that makes things happen. It's actually just me accepting the fact that he is in me and I am in him and then walking, that's important too, walking in that unity, practicing that unity, going to the secret place where it is just you and communion, commun communing with the Father, communing with the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's practicing hearing the voice of Abba. It's practicing hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and then acting on it. But it takes the weight off my shoulders in the fact that it is not by my own merits. If it wasn't by Jesus's own position, then it surely is not about my position. It's about who is living on the inside of me. And so it takes the weight off of my shoulders, but it also gives me, it makes me feel this overwhelming responsibility to represent Jesus well to the world. That, that I don't live however I want to because I have this gift of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living inside of me, so much so that when the world looks at me, they should see Jesus. And so there's this now, this responsibility that I don't get to just live however I want to. I don't get to just live how, uh, just however my, my emotions or however my desires may just flee or may, be, may lead me, but I have a responsibility to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that my impulses, my words, my actions all reflect the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because I represent 
him. So it's both freeing in the fact that the, the, the amazing things don't have to happen based off of my own actions, but it's also this incredible, uh, glorious responsibility that I represent Jesus to the world, that we represent the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to the world. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Listen, this, we're going we're gonna to continue talking about all of this. We're going to go through, we made it through 14 verses today. So we got, we got 14, 15, 16, and 17 to get through. Um, but listen, I'm excited to step into all of this and just to let the Lord bring revelation. Listen, I talk a lot. You may not realize it, but I do this on purpose. I talk a lot about our identity about who we are. And the reason I do that is because I believe that we have lived so below what the Lord has, has actually accomplished for us. Man, so much of the Christian world has lived with just accepting the fact that we don't have to go to hell anymore. And there is so, so much more. Listen, you are an image bearer. You are a son and daughter of God. You actually have the access to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit the same way Jesus did. We live in him and he lives in us. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. Thank you, Father. Jesus. God, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for the cross. And I'm so grateful that the cross accomplished more than just getting me out of one place and into another place. That the cross restored the original identity that you have given us, which is sons and daughters. God, your word says that, that, um, that you've come to restore what was lost. God, and what was lost was, was our, our position in you as sons and daughters. What was lost was our walking in the cool of the day, hand in hand with the Father. Father, I thank you that, that you're bringing revelation into this right now, that we have been invited into the divine dance that we have been invited into a union that is so profound, that is so beyond what we can even imagine. Father, that, that you have brought us, Lord, it even says, uh, I think in Ephesians, it says that this is the great mystery. This is the great mystery that was withheld for generations past. That now Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Father, you didn't come just to save us. You came to dwell and make your home within us. And our home is within you that we can experience such intimacy with the Father that when people look at us, they see you. That we are image bearers. That we are made in your image. Father, I pray, Lord, for every person in this room right now, every person that's even watching maybe online, God, I pray for a grace to step into this unity. Father, that our prayer lives would change, that our, our even walk, our devotional walk would change, Lord, this week. Father, that we would not be coming to a Father that, that, um, that has just freed us from sin, that we, have to, that, that we are coming to a Father that has invited us in 
to fellowship, that has invited us into the conversation. Man, imagine that, that the, the, the conversation that the Father, Son, and Spirit are having in heaven right now, we are invited into that conversation. We are invited in to have a seat at the table with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That should give us such a, a joy and a hunger to run to the secret place. We have access to the conversation that the Father, Son, and the Spirit are having right now. We can listen in. We can participate in that conversation. Father, give us the grace to step into that. God, for those maybe in this room who have never experienced hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that today, God, today that they would hear that voice, that they would feel that burning in their spirits when you speak, Father, and that they would begin to recognize that voice and be able to have conversation with that inner, that inner voice, that, that Holy Spirit speaking inside of them. God, I thank you for permission to enter in. And now, God, as a, as a people, as a congregation, and as individuals, we just declare yes to that invitation. God, we make room for all of, all of uh, we, we push away all of the distractions, we push away all of the things, and Lord, we make room within ourselves to have that conversation. We make room within ourselves to walk in that, that perichoresis, to walk in that union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that, that divine dance of I am in you and you are in me. God, we make room for that this week. God, and let that give us such a confidence in knowing that it is you working through us that empowers us for greater works. And as, as we're going to see later on, it empowers us to righteousness and to holiness. Father, we love you so much this morning. I, I feel like we need to do this one last thing. If, if, if you want to say yes to that invitation, that I want you right where you're at just to lift your hands. I feel like we just need a, just a, 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 some sort of movement to just tell the Lord, yes, we want this. So Father, everyone lifting their hands right now. Jesus, everyone lifting their hands right now. God, I pray that you would speak to them so clearly, so uh, without any doubt that it is you speaking. I pray that you would speak to them today, Jesus. Speak to them today. Let them sense you inside of them, Father. God, let it move today from a head knowledge of Jesus to an experience. Let it move from understanding the principles of Christianity to walking in being Christ-like. God, I pray that so many today are going to transition in that this morning. And those maybe who have already experienced it, God, I thank you that today there's just a new anointing being released to be able to walk in that, that uh, I in him and he in me just revelation. This is what it looks like 
when it says, I, I never cease praying. This is what it looks like, that that conversation is going on. That dialogue is going on at all times because he is in me and I am in him. This is what it looks like, that he never leaves you nor forsakes you because he is in you and you are in him. This is that unity. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God, we are so humbled and honored to be invited into the dance. And we say yes to it. In Jesus' name, amen.